You've been looking pretty good these last few weeks, man. Yeah, I got a, a secret stash of the stuff in the mail. Oh, yeah. Oh, you got the Caldera Lab stuff too, huh? I did get it. Dude, this is some great stuff, man. It's a three product regimen. Um, you can go to their website and check the, uh, the third party results yourself. You don't have to believe Ray or I, but we've both been using it. It's great stuff. The three product regimen of the good, the base layer, and the clean slate. People who have used it are experiencing smoother and healthier looking skin. It's really great stuff. Go over to calderalab.com and use promo code deluxe for 20% off. This is a great deal, Ray. Yeah. Look good, feel good, live good. That's what I always say. Absolutely. Calderalab.com. Use promo code deluxe for 20% off of your entire order. Face it, dating sucked in your 20s, gets worse in your 30s, and your 40s, forget it. It's a cesspool out there, and we're your flotation device. Join us weekly for saucy chat, ridiculous love gurus, and MILF-worthy fun to spice up your life. The MILF MILF and and Me Podcast. Podcast. Every Wednesday on your favorite pod platform. And the MILFandMePod.com. The MILF MILF and and Me Podcast. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of Deluxe Edition. I am your host, Casey Shearer. Joining me, as always, that guy, L. Ray Sexton. What's going on, Casey? Not too much, buddy. You are actually not that guy. Our guest today (laughs) is that guy. Yep. Larry Hankin. You've seen him in everything. This is an amazing interview. It's a long one, but Larry tells some great stories. And if you want to hear uh, more great stories by Larry, definitely check out the book. That guy, you can find it on Amazon. Amazing. This dude has just phenomenal stories. I mean, I could literally probably talk to him for five or six hours, uh, but we don't want to do that to everyone. So we're going to talk to him again later in a couple months uh, to get some more of those stories out. But before we get into the show, let's just do a little house cleaning here quick. We are a part of the Deluxe Edition Network. You can find all the other great shows over at DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. And the podcasts of the month this month are Metalhead Journeys and The Milf and Me. Check them out. Really great shows. The Metalhead Journeys shows as uh, it's one of our OG members on the network. One of the original members of the network. Check them out. They've been around. Good show. Mm-hmm. Good show if you're into metal, metal music, or want to learn about metal music. 
All right. If you'd like to support our show, you can go over to patreon.com slash deluxe edition pod and find the show immediately after it's recorded and unedited. Patreon.com slash deluxe edition pod. Or you could go over to deluxe edition dot show and find all of our previous shows over there. Or go check out our Instagram page at Deluxe Edition Pod. Ray is handling the duties over there. And what else, Ray? Head on over to T Public and go to the 10 Cent Beer Night Podcast store. The name's deceiving. It really is because I just sell bootleg uh, Deluxe Edition stuff over there. And if you're a, a traveling man like Casey, you can go over there and get yourself a travel mug. So yeah. that would be cool. And then you could buy some stickers and put the same image on it because the sticker is the exact same image. But you can put another one on there. Be real cool. And uh, something that we've been doing here of late, if you see one of these stickers or magnets out in the wild, take a picture of it, send it to us, send it to Ray, send it to me, send it to the deluxe edition, whatever, you know, Polaroid, whatever. Send it our way and we will send you something you know if uh if they have a fucking polaroid picture of a sticker in the wild i think we should send them a shirt absolutely but they got they got to send us the polaroid to prove that yeah. it's actually real yeah the actual pro- polaroid in what do they call it yeah snail mail right right yep you got to get an envelope and a stamp and you got to shake it like a polaroid picture and put it in there and send it to us yeah, if you go to the, all the trouble of that, we will send you a T-shirt. Yep. So, all right, Ray, am I missing anything else? No, I think that's it. All right, well, let's get into it. Here is our chat with Larry Hankin. We're Whatever. good, man. We're good. Hey, I wanted to show you while we get, before we get started here. Oh, wow, man, cool. It's right up here. That, <laughs> that is right here on this wall yeah? right up above the thing. That's funny. That's my favorite one. That's really yeah, good. mine too, man. That's why. That's why I got this one. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> okay. hey, Larry, thank you for joining us, man. I, I got to ask you. I just read your book. That oh, guy, really? Oh, that by Larry guy, Hankin. Yeah, cautionary memoir. Yeah. Uh, so I just finished it today, man. Uh, where do you get the balls or the confidence? I guess. In life, I mean, like to telling that way to, to act that way with all those famous people, yeah, like complete uh, tell- naivete. <laughs> I, like I, that, uh, I don't know, I'm doing it. When I read the book, I was blown away. <laughs> so I mean, tell- holy cow! How did I do this? Why did I say that? You know what? It's just I. I have a. I th- I think. I have somewhere I, I, I call the second man, my, my um, uh, muscle memory, you know, or muscle memory. I call that another guy. Like when I'm playing guitar, I don't watch my fingers, you know, I don't watch that. So how do I know where the, how do, how do my fingers know where to go? I'm not paying any attention to them. So it's muscle memory, basically. But I call it another guy. There's another guy who's just watching my fingers, you know. So there's a lot of things that muscle memory do that I just say, oh, that's that other guy. So I have now incorporated that 
dot those two things in, into one thing, and I don't think about it, but my brain keeps. So those things that I say to those people, that's the other guy. <laughs> that's, I, I, that's not me. That's just because when I read the book, I really was surprised at my temerity <laughs> at talking to this. But but I really believe in that. I mean, it's not a mistake. I I don't take it back. I uh, no, that's the way I I felt, and so I just said it. But yeah. I, I have no, I take no responsibility. <laughs> so the 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 one instance I'm talking about, and you know, we want people to go buy the book. So I pulled sections of the book oh, that great. I want to talk about. That's great, um, uh, that's great. You're the first one who's ever. We've never. I've never. I've talked. You know, go buy the book, but I've never talked about what's in the book. Oh yeah, let's talk about it, man. So, so that's cool. The, the 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 first question, like about the confidence, you told Clint Eastwood and Don Siegel Siegel that you're not doing another take, and you walked away. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. I said I was gonna. I said in my head, I was saying, "Fuck these guys! I quit. I don't care if I get fired. <laughs> fuck you, fuck these guys." That was in my head, and so I just said, "No, I'm well," because now it was a slow build. I just didn't do that out of nowhere. There right. was weeks of a, a build of, of anger and frustration and um, deme- being feeling that I was being demeaned or, or laughed at. So, uh, which, no, they finally, uh, uh, what's his name? The, the director. Um, Don Siegel. Don Siegel. Don Siegel. He finally told me what was going on, uh, just in, in conversation, not like, well, listen, Larry, this is what's going on. No, he said, yeah, but we were doing that because, uh, you know, that's what we do, you know, and, and that's what the old days do. We we like you. Uh, so it was a way of them sh- showing th- that they liked me, that that I was a member of, of their gang, you know. of, of uh, And so Don Siegel said, I said, what, what's going on? Because they were putting me on. That was the whole thing. They kept putting me on and putting me on. And then when, when the crew sees that, and it was uh, Clint Eastwood's crew, then they started doing it. So there was weeks of me being put on as an act of, of friendship, of love, of, you know, hey, man, you know, we're all one here. We're going to put you on. We put everybody. Because he said, well, back in the day, you know, that's all that was going on on those sets in the black and white days. Because that's what Don Siegel was. He made amazing movies that were black and white. Um, so he said, that's what was going on. You know, we would just put each other on. And, and then he would tell me, well, he did this and Clint Eastwood did that. And back in the day, and I don't care about that. So I finally figured it out, but by then I had walked and been, you know, fuck these guys. I want to be, I, I, I'd rather be fired than go through all this bullshit. So, and then finally Clint, I think it's in the book where he called me, but he's like, hey, Larry, come on back. I, what I did was just to fill in the people who haven't read it. I, at one point I said, um, Here's what the ritual was. They have a big ritual, Clint and the and the director, Don Siegel. They've done like five or six movies together. So they know every, you know, each thing, you know, and they kind of respect each other's space. So each time, and all my scenes are with Clint Eastwood, all of them. So 
if I got mad at another actor, it was Clint Eastwood who I got mad at because that was the only guy I was acting with, really. So I said, so each time the richer their ritual was, every time there was a take, Don Siegel would say, okay, cut. Now, first, you got to know, Clint Eastwood doesn't like to do another take. He wants to do one take all the way through the movie. If you have to do another take, he wants to know why. Now, if you give him a good reason, that's fine. I mean, he knows how to make movies. He's a director, you know, fine. Oh, and during this film, Don Siegel was teaching Clint Eastwood how to direct. So there's two things going on. Actor, teacher, and uh, I mean, director, teacher, and director, actor. So, and you never knew when, when one was going on and the other wasn't. So the ritual was that after each take, Don Siegel would come up, he would stop and say, either from behind the camera, generally he would walk up to him. So there was just three of us, but they were just talking like that. I didn't exist in that conversation. I was like this. So that's how started it. They would just totally ignore me and just say, you know, how is that for you, Clint? And Clint says, that, that was okay, let's move on. And then he would say, yeah, okay, fine, moving on. And that was a ritual every time. And one time that Don Siegel said, um, okay, let, let's do another take. And Clint said, why are we doing another take? And Don would come up and say, right in front of me, but they would totally ignore me. He said, well, uh, the camera uh, jiggled or went off the track or something. You know, he said, oh, okay, let's do it again. Okay, fine. So he'd do it again. So then he would come up in the second take, and he would say, how is that for you, Clint? And Clint would say, fine. And I finally got so, um, at this point, just frustrated at this, ignoring me and just saying, not how is it for you, Larry? No, just how is it for Clint? What the fuck is going on? I mean, see, there, there you go. There you go. But I was just, you know, I would just stand there, but in my brain. Okay, so finally, after about, because I was there for three months, so about a month and a half into it, after this freaking ritual all the time, I just couldn't be ignored anymore. So I was like another, just another human being, and we were three human beings at this point. So I said, uh, Clint said, that's fine, let's move on. So just before he said, you know, moving on, I said, uh, I'd like to do it again. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, like, all of a sudden, everything quieted down. <laughs> now, I heard that. I heard the silence. And I said, well, I, uh, I have a little power here. You know, I shut everybody up. <laughs> so I said, you want to, so Don said, yeah, Clint, they're just looking at me like, what? Don goes, uh, what do you mean? I said, well, I think I can, uh, I want to do it again because I think I can do it better. And Clint said, well, I can't. And he walked away. <laughs> and so Don Siegel walked away and everybody laughed, the entire crew, because they were now watching this. And that's when I said, in my brain, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and I just walked. I just, goodbye. I didn't say anything. I just, and I started I know, headed for the door. The door, we were on a tier, on tier C. So that's like 30 feet above, you know, tier, you look over and look down. So we were on the third tier. So there was no way to w walk away except 
along the tier. Now, this way, we're here. The camera was actually cantilevered out over the ground because they were shooting this way, and the, you know, the tier was this way. So the camera's cantilevered out, shooting into a, c- a cell, and everybody was on that side of the camera. So that was blocked. There was crew and other actors and stuff. So I couldn't walk that way, which is where the door was. The other door was about a mile down there. And so I'm saying, so I just turned and I said, I don't, and I'm thinking in my brain, I don't care if I'm fired. I don't care, man. I'm not going to go through this bullshit. Because they were also putting me on. So that was just like the cherry on on my Sunday. And so I just kept on walking. And and as I'm walking, and there's a silence, this is dead silence back there. And I'm just saying, I don't care. I don't care. Let him fucking fire me. I don't, I'm not going through this anymore. And and the, the door is getting further and further away. <laughs> I panic. And I just say, and, and finally, I finally got to the door. And just as I was reaching for the doorknob, I hear Clint say, hey, Larry, come on back, man. We're just kidding around. <laughs> And I just turned around and said, oh, okay. And I just walked back. And we just went on with the shooting. I mean, he said, hey, Larry, you know, don't worry about it. Okay, let's, let's just do this. Okay, and then boom. And we went on and like nothing happened. And, and that's the second thing about r- making movies with the old timers. And Clint is really an old timer. But Don Siegel is. I mean, he, he had gray hair. And he's, he's an, an elder gentleman. He, he died, I think, a couple of years, maybe a year or two after that movie was made. And we were going to make a movie together. That's how much we liked each other. So, I mean, you know, yeah. and I didn't understand. And then later, I think a couple of days later, me, me and Don, Don and I, uh, Mr. Siegel and I were talking, you know, just uh, waiting for them to set up the camera, or the lights. And he said, yeah, we used to put each other on all the time back in the old days, in the black and white days. I go, you know, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I mean, if you remember the, the, the still photos, you guys can remember the still photos. Everybody was in suits, remember? Everybody. The, the actors, the crew was in suits. Everybody. And the sets and the lights were like huge and very hot, extremely hot. So a lot of, so that's how they kind of blew off some quote unquote steam. You know, they, they just got rid of a lot of frustration because of the heat. So they would put each other on and it was just accepted. So like there's a couple of times, like, for instance, um, he gave me one example that he just picked out of the air. Uh, and um, there was a movie, Don Siegel didn't direct it. It was, a, it was a, I think, um, well, who's the wunderkind, you know, uh, the shark movie, Jaws. Who directed it? Uh, uh, Steven, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg. It was a Steven Spielberg movie about about uh, you know the the Nazis and 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 and, uh, and he said you know there's a scene where uh, the two stars are tied in a chair back to back you know and they're tied and the camera is going around there's a shot where the camera goes around as they're tied together and they're in the costumes in those days those suits were made of wool the actors costumes were made of wool real suits back in the day so they were wearing wool suits 
and and all those lights, even though it was a color movie and murder, it was Don was saying it was hot as hell. So what they did, they they asked both actors who who had to sit there for take after take after take to get that thing right, and they were just like sweating. So what they did was, where does the camera cut off? Where where are you filming? So they said, we're doing like a cowboy, a little bubble cowboy, which is a cowboy is a belt up. That's a cowboy shot. So he said, they're a little above the belt for a cowboy. So he said, okay, fine. So both actors took off their pants. <laughs> so on the set, they were tied with just the suits and jackets, but, you know, they were in their underwear uh, for the rest of the but you know, that wasn't on the camera. So he was saying things like that would go on and they would joke about it. And they'd say, no, we're going to shoot the whole thing. Ha, 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 ha. You know, so, okay. So that's what was going on. But they were also putting me on the entire time. And I was so naive. That was my first picture I ever made. First Hollywood movie I ever made. So I didn't know what was going on. And I was about, I don't know, in my late twenties, I guess, or maybe even younger. I looked much younger than I, than I was, but, uh, so I, I didn't know anything. That I, I, I wanted to learn how to make movies. I, I wanted to be an actor. So I was always there every day in costume for three months. And you had to get up at six 30 in the morning because of the boats it's on Alcatraz. So there was 10 boats and, the crew and all the actors and 200 extras, you know, to play the prisoners. We had to get on these 10 boats. With The 10 boats were the tourist boats. That's who they are. They just hired them because they didn't start until, I think, 10. So at 8 o'clock in the morning, they were hired to take the crew there. And then at the end of the day, at 8 o'clock at night, when they were finished with their tourists, they would take everybody and back. So if you wanted to go on Alcatraz Island, you had to get up at 6.30, go down to the dock and catch those 8 o'clock boats or those 7.30 boats because that was it. There was only one other boat at noon exactly, one boat, and that was for the CEOs, you know, the people who flew up from from L.A. And, you know, they would catch the noon boat. And so if you were in a, a shot that was scheduled for like, 5.30 p.m., you had to get up at 6.30 in the morning and go out at to 8 o'clock and wait all day on the island Jesus. to do your 5.30 shot. However, if you did like a 11.30 shot a.m., you had to get up at 6.30 in the morning, do your 11.30 shot a.m., and wait until 8 p.m. to go back. And you couldn't use the noon boat. Nobody did. <laughs> so here's another put on where that was being. Now, now that you know the knowledge, okay, so here's the other put on where I couldn't take it anymore. Um, where Clint and I, uh, Clint, there's a thing where in the script it says Clint jumps when they were going to escape. They're on the roof and they have to jump from one building to another. It's just far enough away so you can't make it. It's, you know, it's like that much further than no matter how hard you try or who, you're not going to make it. Even <laughs> you know, no. 
So I was staring at that, wondering how they're going to shoot it. You, you know, I thought, well, Clint likes to do his own stunts, you know, but he's a major star. They, so they I, will they allow him to do it? Can he do it? So I was just standing at the edge looking over, and I hear this voice on the back, uh, back behind me saying, you think you can jump that? And I turn around, and it's Clint. And I go, oh, yeah, because I knew he had to. So I said, oh, yeah, I can do that. Really? Oh, sure. I bet you 10 bucks you can't. <laughs> so I go, now, I, I know already this is past that, the put-ons, so I know about it now. I know this is a put-on. You know, if he's betting me for an impossibility. So I go along with the put-on. No, Larry, no. <laughs> because here's the other thing that I learned right then, well, at the end of it. They don't kid around with their put-ons. <laughs> they push it as far as it'll go, you know, and they put it all on you. Hey, man, I just told him to jump, you know. I didn't think he was going to jump. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> So he goes, I'll bet you 10 bucks. I said, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, so we're having a bet. So he says, uh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, so I, I don't know what it was. When I, I thought, okay, we just got to keep it going. That's, that's, he, he doesn't really mean I want, he wants me to jump because it's impossible. Uh, so he says, go ahead. So I made up something. I don't know what it was, but we were going back and forth about, well, why, why, you know, you said 10 bucks, whatever. We were just standing there talking about the bet, not saying this is a put on, this is a real bet and I'm going to jump. And all of a sudden his crew, again, this fucking crew, man, they saw this and they stopped because they were, we're up on the roof and we had gone up there early and me too. I'm not even in this shot. But I went up there to watch and see how they built it and what they were going to do and how to work around it. So I was curiosity. So the crew stops, but the director wasn't there. They were just setting up the shot. And we're standing there talking, and they stopped again. They just stopped, and they started to watch this. And I saw that. Oh, man. No, I'm not going to give in. No, he's going to give in. Clint is going to give in. So... He said, so everybody cries out. And then Clint sees that everybody's watching. So he says, okay, Larry's going to try to jump over here. So let's give him some room. You, you want to run? You want a running start, Larry? <laughs> and he's dead serious, man. And the crew, you know, like backs up, you know, they say they formed a, like a big semicircle with enough room. So I pretend, you know, how am I going to get out of this? What's the punchline here? That's all I'm thinking. Punchline. You know, what's the, what's the out? And so, okay. And, and I get back and the crew moves back. And then, and then I said, oh, I get it. I'm going to go back here. So I start to walk back and I see Clint is standing right by the edge, you know, where we were talking. And then I, he's going to stop me. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to run and he's going to stop me. And as I get back, you know, I'm pretending, okay, let me see this, get this going here now. I see Clint. Move away. <laughs> and I, he moved away just far enough so I see he can't get to me in time. 
Uh, that, that's all I'm thinking. No, he's too far away. It's I don't care. He's not going to stop me. So I'm just about to, I don't know what to do, man. I don't know what to do. I mean, I, I brain freeze. I can't figure the out. I know I can't make it. Everybody's watching. I've got another month and a half here. If I don't do this, I got another, you know, I'll be in the barrel is what I'm thinking. <laughs> you, you know what that that means, being in the barrel? No. I've only heard it referred to on like a pirate ship. where you're Exactly. To, oh, yeah. Exactly. But it being in the barrel means, hey, you know, is there any sex going on around here? A, a pirate ship, you know, that was a joke, you know, any sex going on on the ship? How, how do you guys, you know, you're out at sea all the time. He said, well, you just, you know, take your dick out and stick it in that hole in the barrel. <laughs> okay. So that, that, okay. Boom, boom, boom. And then finally the guy says, you know, I'm really horny and he, he does it and it, hey it works it's fucking amazing and he says you know how does that work he says well next week it's your turn in the barrel <laughs> <laughs> so i'm thinking i'm in the barrel these guys i mean i i, I got to get out of the barrel here so um and just then just as i'm thinking how do i get out of the barrel Don Siegel comes up with his secretary. You know, he comes up to, to check to see how, how they're set. And he just sees me standing back there. Clint is over there by the edge of the thing. And all the, the crew is not working. They're just standing around watching me. And Don Siegel says, what the fuck is going on? I mean, he, he's really mad. What the fuck is going on, man? You know, what's going on here? And Clint yells over, Larry's going to jump across this, and he's bet me 10 bucks. So. So Don Siegel looks around. He says, no, he's not. What are you doing? And he, he walks he walks up to the edge and he looks over and then he looks across. And he says, what are you fucking crazy? He can't make this. So he's going to jump across. He's not going to do it. He's going to fall down, break his fucking head. And we're on an island. And we got to send for a, a an ambulance and they're going to get a boat to come over here. He'll be dead by the time that thing goes. And we got to lose a day of shooting. And then we got to reshoot all of his scenes. Fuck you. Everybody get back to work. <laughs> Fucking 10 bucks. Everybody. And everybody is scurrying. And blah, 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 blah. Crazy. And he said, Larry, fuck off, Larry. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> and he was really angry. And everybody, oh. And I said, man. And it turns out he was also kidding around, Don Siegel. He wasn't mad at all. But, you know, he, he wanted to wrap it up. So he Yeah. But I mean, that's crazy, man. And and my heart was beating like, I said, what am I going to do? I can't jump this. And he's saying, no, he's going to die and cry. And he was talking about the blood and everything. And, and then he just went on and on about what was going to happen to me and have to reshoot. And he didn't mention the fact that I would be dead. He was saying that we're going to lose a day's shooting. <laughs> we have to shoot his stuff over because we haven't shot him out yet. <laughs> How did they shoot that scene? Did it? Did- did Clint? Who who did the jump? Down the pipe. He climbed down the pipe. There's a pipe. Oh. So so they already knew that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, so he was nobody was jumping anywhere. No, nobody. No, no. I mean, everybody knew. Even the crew knew <laughs> that he was going to go down the pipe because this was planned out days before. This was a big scene, you know, a big, right. big scene. So they had planned it out. So everybody knew everything, but except me. <laughs> I didn't know. And everybody thought, holy cow, this guy, it's Larry. 
everybody knew my name, Larry. Larry's going to try to jump this. <laughs> and, you know, it's impossible. So they didn't, st- in other words, here's what I'm saying about when they put you on, they don't back off. <laughs> nobody said, you can't do that. Nobody. Nobody said, that's impossible. You're going to kill yourself. Nobody. They said, wow, we're going to see a guy die. <laughs> cool. I mean, you know, that was his crew. And Don Siegel, uh, at, an, at another time, you know, used to tell me, in between shots and stuff, used to tell me stories about put-ons and, and what they did. And, Brod, you know, the old days, Broderick Crawford. And, like, one day he, he said he was shooting. It was Broderick Crawford and, and another big star in, in a movie that Don Siegel was shooting, a black and white thing. And so they didn't like each other. The two stars really didn't like each other. But, you know, they acted like they did. I mean, they're professionals. But they just didn't like each other off off camera. Don So they shot. So at the end of the day, and one of the things is Don Siegel had to drive home along PCH, Pacific Coast Highway. That was the drive home. So at the end of the day, Don Siegel is telling me he's driving home and he sees Roger Crawford and he, uh, he, he sees up ahead, he sees a bunch of cop cars pulled off to the side of the road and two guys standing and, and cops are holding them back. And as he slowly goes by, he sees it's Roger Crawford and his other star and they were bloody. They, they had smart, they had been fighting and somebody called the cops. So the cops are holding him back. And as he's going by, saying, those are my two stars. They've got a six o'clock call tomorrow. <laughs> and, and, and they have bruises on their face. And, you know, one, one sleeve is ripped. And they were actually fighting. And the cops are about to bust them. And as he's going by, he's thinking, I got two, I got two options here, Don Siegel is saying as he's driving. He says, I can stop. And get my two stars out of this because they got a six o'clock call, or I got a six o'clock call. Fuck them. They better show up. And they kept on going. He says, I chose to keep on going. <laughs> so he kept on going. Next day, he's got a six o'clock call, 6 a.m., and they show up, both of them show up. And, you know, they're bruised, but they obviously go into makeup and makeup covers it all. And nobody ever says anything. And they just did a day's work and they went home. So he says, that's, he says, that's how we did it. You know, you just yeah. move on. You just, you don't, you know, no, nothing is connected. So that was a great three months. I mean, I had the best time of my life on that movie. It was. Did you greatest. ever find out? Did Because you were. You were cast in that with there were only two roles left to cast in that. So did you ever find out why you got the call for that? No, but I figured I figured it out finally. I mean, it took me years to because uh, I did. I Because my audition was just very. I, I didn't audition. I was the, I probably the only actor who didn't audition for that role. Uh, he just wanted to talk to me. Which, you know, I mean, that, that happens. But generally it happens with big stars. And this is my first movie. I mean, I had done TV and a stage, but I'd never done a, a Hollywood movie. So, I, I, you know, I was naive. I, I didn't know. I figured I would have to read something. And then I was very frustrated. It started with the frustration. They didn't give me any. They, my, my agent said, just go down there. And I said, well, what are the sides? You know, the little, little 
pieces of paper that you have for your part to read for the audition. It's called a side. So they, I didn't have any sides, so I didn't know what the part was. So he says, well, they don't know either, so just go down there. They'll tell you when you get there. I said, yeah, but I, how can I rehearse or how can I memorize anything? I mean, I don't have any. He said, just go down there. They're closing in an hour. So I led foot it down there, and then I go in, and there's no no sides, no parts, no nobody there. I'm the only person, which is really weird. Generally, have a crowded room full of people auditioning for the same part. And everybody kind of looks like you. It's very weird and disconcerting. (laughs) (laughs) So, but there's nobody there except a a secretary. And I say, is there any parts or anything? Anybody know it? Now, what are you here for? Well, Escape from Alcatraz. No, we just have a screen. We actually have a screenplay. I said, a screenplay? I don't even know what part. You want it or not? Okay, give me a take. So I give it to him. So I just put it in my lap. I can't, I'm not going to read an entire 90 pages before I go into it. I don't even know what I'm reading for. So right away, I'm discombobulated. It's my first movie. It's a big movie. I've auditioned before, but I'm, I got a chip on my shoulder. I think I always have a chip on my shoulder. I think that's what it is. So don't push me too far, guys. Okay, so, um, so I go down there, and uh, I'm sitting there. And the thing is in my lap, alone in this room, and the door opens, and this nice lady, elderly lady, peeks her head in. Are you Larry Hankin? Yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Let's just do this. I just wanted to get out of there. Because, that I mean, that just, that just, no, I'm not fucking ready. There's no, okay, let me just go in. Yeah, I'm ready. So I just take the screenplay and I go in. And there's just three people in the room. Me, Don Siegel, and this lady. And I knew that they told me, you're going to be rehearsing with Clint Eastwood. That was why I was nervous. And he wasn't there. (laughs) Fucking Clint Eastwood's a (laughs) no-show. So He was already a pretty big star at that time, right? He was the biggest star in the world at that time. So... I sit down and he says, what part are you here to read? Don Siegel says. Now, I didn't know who Don Siegel was at the time. That's how naive I was. This guy is revered in Hollywood. I didn't, I didn't know this. I said, oh, man. Now, Clint Eastwood isn't here. And I got like an old guy who's going to direct the movie. Oh, man. And I don't know what part I'm in. So, so he goes, uh, what part are you here for? I said, I don't know. And I just said it like that. I don't know. I mean, in other words, I have an hour of, you know, frustration now sitting in front of this guy, and he doesn't know. You know, what part are you here for? He's a very nice little old man. And he goes, what part do you want? I, I don't know. He says, oh, okay. Well, and he turns to her. What part do we have for this guy? I mean, they're, they're not serious. I'm, I'm thinking, not, you know, what part does he have? You know, blah, 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 blah. so she says, uh, "Well, Charlie Butts and the and the the, the guy who beats him up." Uh, there's a there's a scene in, in in the movie where Clint is put in uh, solitary and a guard comes in and just beats him up because he can. So and it's in the movie. So he says, well, "And that guard." He says, um, "Which one do you want to do?" I don't know. Nobody gave me a part. He says, well, you got a script in front of you. Yeah, but I can't read the whole script. You know? <laughs> and, and he sees my frustration. 
And, and he going, oh, okay, 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 calm down. Uh, okay, what about what about the warden? You want to do the warden? Uh, not the warden, the, the guard. You want to do the guard? I I don't know. And she says, no, no, we can't do the guard. We already, uh, I, I, was, I was mistaken. We already hired the guard um, this morning. And uh, I, I don't think he can, I don't think he can beat up Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Larry, can you beat up Clint Eastwood? No, no. Yeah, I didn't think so. No, the guard's out anyway. All right. What about Charlie Butts? I don't know. I don't know what the part is. Okay, okay, okay. You want to read with me? Okay, okay. All right, you got a script in your hand. And, and he takes his script. He goes, turn to page 98. Okay, I'll read with you. Uh, you want to go out and rehearse or what? Now he's just like, <laughs> this guy doesn't know anything. I mean, he's talking to me like, I don't, like I'm stupid. He says, you want to go out and rehearse or what do you want to do? No, no, no. Let's just, because I wanted to go home. I didn't like what's going on. They're just dissing me all over the place. So, and the, so this is my attitude in Hollywood. This is what's going on all the time and everything. I'm always, you know, one step behind what's going on. One, one naivete too, too little. He goes, okay, let's just read. So he reads. He says, you read Charlie Butts, I'll read the other part. Okay, you ready? Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read first. Bop, 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 bop. He says, just read one page. Bop, 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 Boom. Okay, yeah. All right. You got the part. You're Charlie Butts. And I just sat there. And he goes, you don't believe me? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't believe you. Okay. All right. Tell you what. Go home, sit by the phone, see what happens. Now get out of here. So I got out of there. And about, I go home and I sit by the phone and about 20 minutes later, the phone rings. Hey, Larry, my agent. You got it. Wow. You're in a movie. That's great. What the fuck, man? I, how did I do that? If I had to do another audition, what do I, what's my takeaway? Be stupid. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know I mean what happened and that was how I was for the three months that's how they related to me this guy doesn't know anything so we can tell him anything blah, blah, blah. and then the other thing was which was the 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 upside of all that was I went every day every day I got up at 6 30 and I went and because I wasn't in every scene every day so I would just stand by the camera and watch because I just wanted to see how they made a big tentpole movie. I mean, there was a lot of money in that movie. And I just was amazed because, you know, I'm, I come from San Francisco on a little, little stage theater. And this was um, uh, unbelievable. So, uh, but, but every day I would come and, and there would be something else. So the upside is I'd be in costume. The only costume was... Blue shirt, jeans, white socks, black shoes. You know, and I just put that on every day, went down to the boats, eight o'clock, boom, stayed there, eight o'clock back. And I would just stand by the camera and watch Don and him act because I wanted to learn. But they noticed that. I didn't know that. I thought, you know, I'm I'm totally but they didn't they didn't relate to me at all, you know, except it moved back. 
<laughs> you know, if I was in the way of the camera, you know, no, Larry moved back a little. Okay. But every time they needed an extra or somebody every, like every once in a while, if you, you watch it, I was only on, I think four scenes in the movie, but I'm all through that movie because Don would go, Larry, get in there. I go, well, what am I doing? It doesn't matter. Get in there. I go, well, you know, what, what, what should I do? It doesn't matter. Just get in there. Well, why am I in there? Because I need another guy in there. Get in there. Okay. okay. So I would do that. So like one time he was, so, and they, and they would like be nice to me when they weren't putting me on. They'd be very nice to me, like, because they thought, well, he doesn't know what's going on. Like one day he says, get in there. Uh, it was a scene. There was a, he said there was a, the uh, McGowan and Clint Eastwood were like a, a close-up of their faces talking. So it was just like profile, you know, so just talking, frame. But they were shooting. Uh, it, was, it was where I walked down, where I quit. Uh, we said they were shooting into the cell. So the camera was out over the tier, and it was just a close-up of those two guys. So he says, get in, get in the cell. So I go, why? He said, because, and then he would explain, he explained to me. He says, well, because it's, uh, I got two profiles and there's a big hole and there's an empty cell. So I just want a body in the cell. So there's something else going on besides these two profiles because I got a big nothing in the cell. So get in there. I say, oh, great. How much time do I have before you're going to shoot? He says, well, they're going to set the lights. You got about three minutes, five minutes. Okay. So I ran down to um, Warner Brothers has put a, uh, what do you call it, uh, a prop department on on the island. So we didn't have to, you know, send for it with a boat and everything. So the big prop department on, on the, uh, in the cell, one of the cells, a couple of cells. So I run over and I go, give me a checkerboard quick. So he said, we don't have any checkerboards. Oh, man. Uh, we got chessboards. Okay, give me a chessboard. Give me a chessboard. And the, and the, and the you know, the, the men. And the women and the pawns. Okay. So uh, I get it. And I uh, go. And then the AD comes running up. He says, Larry, come on. They, they need you. Get the thing. And I go in and I'm in the, bat, in the cell and I'm setting up the, the chess pieces and everything like that. And he says, okay, act ready. And here's the weird thing, man. And this is really true. Don Siegel. They, they get the, he, he says, okay, all right, let, let's, uh, let's get set. Everybody ready? So the two actors get in, Clint and McGowan, and they get in, they got in, and they focus, and they say, okay. And then all he says is, Larry, you ready? <laughs> he doesn't ask Clint, he doesn't ask McGowan. He yells out, Larry, you ready? I go, yeah. Okay. All right. And camera, sound, action. And then they go, blah, 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 blah. And then in the middle of the scene, he goes, cut, Larry, come here. I go, oh, shit, now what did I do? So I get out of the scene, and, I, and he called me over. He didn't, he didn't leave the camera. Come here. What the fuck are you doing back there? I'm playing checkers. No, you're not. You're playing chess. What the fuck? You got a chess board. You can't play checkers. I say, yeah, but see... Charlie Butts went down to the Alcatraz uh, game board place and all the checkerboards are out. 
Charlie Butt doesn't know how to play chess, but he'll play checkers with chess because that's the only board available to him. So I'm playing checkers with a chess board because there is no chess board on Alcatraz. That's what you're doing? Yeah. Okay, get back in there. No, no, I don't have to play chess. You can play whatever you want. Get back in there. Let's shoot this. Okay, let's go. I just wanted to know what the hell you were doing. Okay, let's go. And they would shoot. I mean, so the whole entire time, no matter what, I was either for One time he goes, what was it? I can't, it was something I couldn't do. And he goes, we're shooting here. Oh, he wanted me to cry. cry and the cry, yeah. and wife comes. He wanted me to cry, and he goes, okay, Larry, uh, in this scene, you know, get in there and, and uh, oh, I was playing cards. I, do, do you want to hear this? I mean, I'm, I'm talking. I, yeah. You know, <laughs> that's yeah it, man. I'm playing cards with the crew, because that's what you do, you know, in, in between. There's a long time between shots and setting up. and everything. So we're playing cards with the crew, you know, poker, and I got a pretty good hand. And all of a sudden, they look up. The other, there's like five of us. So they they look up behind me, and I go, and I look back, and it's Don Siegel, and he's standing there behind me, and he goes, Larry, what are you doing? I go, I'm playing cards. You're, you're in the next scene. Well, yeah, but the next scene is not for like a half hour. I mean, you you you're just setting up. You're you're not ready to shoot. He said, but this is your crying scene. Crying scene? It doesn't say, I don't know about crying scene. What are you talking about? He said, you're with your wife. She's, she's visiting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But th- it doesn't say I'm crying. So I want you to cry. I, you can, and then he saw the, you know, discombobulation on my face. He goes, can you cry? I go, I guess so. What do you mean you guess so? Can you cry? I go, yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay. I I don't know. I never cried before in a movie. He says, well, I think you better go into your dressing room and practice because I don't care if you have to slap yourself silly, but I want you to cry. And he walks away. And the other guys are just like, what the fuck was that all about? So I say, well, I think I got to go to my dressing room and practice. And he put my cards down and I left. And you go, good luck, okay. And I'm slapping myself silly. It, it doesn't work, man. I, you know, it doesn't. I, and I can't cry. And I'm, oh, my God, man. This is crazy. And he was serious, man. So I figure out, okay, I wouldn't cry in this scene. And I figure out a backstory for why I wouldn't cry. So I go looking for him now. Don Siegel, the director. I said, where's Don Siegel? He's just talking to his secretary, Barbara, over there. So I go over. And she now walks away and talking to somebody else. And I go, can I talk to you for a second? He goes, yeah, sure. What? And, and then he's very serious. So he says, you know, Bob, I just want to talk to this guy. So hold it for a second. So he clears everybody away. He says, oh, yeah, what is it? I said, um, I don't think Charlie Butts would cry in this scene. Really? Why is that? Well, um, see, and I give him some cock and bull story about why he wouldn't cry. I don't remember what it was, but, you know, I had it worked out in my head. Well, because his father or whatever, I don't know. 
but he wouldn't cry. Maybe he doesn't like his wife. I don't know. He wouldn't cry. He wouldn't cry. Uh, Barbara, would you come over here for a second? Barbara, she comes over. Barbara, uh, okay, bye. This is Larry playing Charlie Butts. Um, Larry, tell Barbara what you just told me. So she doesn't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. So I go, okay. I, I told him that Charlie Butts in this scene wouldn't cry because he doesn't like his wife or whatever I said. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. But he, he wouldn't cry in this scene. So she, uh, she says, okay, and she turns to him. She says, yeah, so? He said to her, what the fuck is he talking about? And then he turns to me and he goes, hey, Larry, I got a movie here. I got an arc of all men from beginning to end. It's all men and they're in prison. This is testosterone city. They just want to escape or they want to fight. That's it. Now, I got too much testosterone. I, I got too much anger. I need another, an, another emotion. I need somebody to cry. I need somebody to cry about right here. And he points to the ceiling and he goes, right here, I need somebody in this, this arc. I need somebody to cry right there. Guess whose scene is right there? Your scene. You're going to cry in this scene, okay? Now I got to set up this other scene, so get busy. Boom. And he walks away with her. And she looks at me and goes, and follows him. And I'm going, oh, my God, what the fuck? What's going on? So I went back into my, and I just couldn't fucking, I couldn't. And then the AD comes in, you're up, you're seen, crying scene. You think you're going to cry? I mean, everybody knew. Yeah, you're going to cry? You think you're going to cry? I don't know, man. And he goes, what are you going to do? I don't know. I just get, so he goes, Larry, you ready to cry? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready to cry. I mean, I just, I refuse to cop to anything. Or, or I, yeah, I just, yeah, I, yes to everything. Yeah, I'm going to cry. Yeah, okay. See so then I sit in the cell, and then the camera, he puts the camera this far away, this far away. The camera is right there. It's a choker. It's like right here. And it's just this big scene. And it's in the scene. You look and see in the movie. I'm like, I've never been that close to a camera. I didn't even think they allowed cameras to be that close. And he goes, and he says, you ready to cry, Larry? And I go, yeah, yeah, I'm ready to cry. Again, you know, I'm going to be fired. I don't know where this happened before or after the other firing, but I don't know where it was. He says, yeah, I'm going to cry. He says, okay, all right, everybody. And now everybody's gathered around like they're going to see Larry cry. I mean, like, this is a big deal. Oh, man. So I go, okay. And the camera's like, he says, okay. And sound, camera, action, cry Larry. And I'm going, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. Said, okay, cut. Um, judge, bring it in. Yeah, no, nothing. You know, judge comes in. There's a, a crew guy. And you know those little grandma uh, perfume bottles? You know, they're, they're like cut glass and they have a long thing where you squeeze the tube at the end <laughs> and it sprays out, you know, one of those those. This big whole hunk of a guy, you know, comes in with this little grandma perfume bottle and he sticks it 
between the camera and me. You know, he sticks it right in here. And he just goes, and this fine mist goes right by the camera and disappears. And then what's going on? And then I hear him go, sound, camera, Larry, action, cry. And I go, and tears start pouring down my eyes. One, two, three, four, cut. Larry, that was great. Thank you very much. Moving on. Boom. And I go, what the fuck just happened? And I go over to Don and I go, what, what was that? What, what was he spraying? That was wintergreen, Larry. That When you spray that, it makes you cry. It makes you tear up. That little bottle of wintergreen has given more actresses Academy Awards than anything else. <laughs> and it walks away. So he knew the whole time he was going to use that. Yes, from the time he stood behind me in the poker game. That's how long these fucking put-ons were. <laughs> I mean, they would put you on for days. And, you know, finally, I mean, I was out. of. I, it was one of these. Well, I think it was that. And, and then later on, it, it was the, you know, the walk. And I don't care if I get fired to the door. Because I think after that, I remember the relief of it stopped. The, the put on stopped. I, I was now welcome into the club. They did it yeah. enough that I was okay. Because I guess they, they, they thought, and I probably didn't, I didn't bite anymore. Right. Was, I sensed, oh, no, no, I'm not going for it. So I didn't react, you know, but, but, but it was great. I mean, I, I, it's the greatest vacation I ever had. You, you can't believe. Uh, and and uh, Clint, after the movie was over, he recommended me for another movie, for Rat Boy. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I got along. It, 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 it wasn't like, it, it was just all put on and, and, and the fun of making old time movies. He said that yeah. they both said that was what was going on all the time because of the heat and because of the suits and because of the tension. And yeah. it was all, you know, <laughs> cool. Two <laughs> times in your career, Larry, um, people, directors didn't direct you because uh, the first time one thought you were actually a hell's angel and the other time they thought you were on acid. Um, how does this yeah. make you feel? Because like after after the fact, you went up to them and asked them like why why didn't you talk to me on set? Why didn't yeah. you do it, direct me? Um, so th- does that make you feel better as an actor that you're you're like, damn, I did that good of a role or I did that good of a job as an actor that they were like, I guess the one might have been scared of you as the Hell's Angel, and the other one just thought you were all fucked up. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, one thought I was a hell's angel, and the other thought I was just fucked up. Uh, he thought I was on acid. Yeah. Um, well, no. Uh, basically, what it made me think of was um, I, the, the, I'm, acting is not my, not my thing. Uh, I'm, I'm not an actor. I, I don't have the temperament. I don't have the focus. <clears throat> and I don't have the desire. I mean... That's why I could do what I did. The desire wasn't there, and I didn't know it. Desire comes from a deep well. I mean, you have to desire. If you desire something, man, you got, like, incredible energy. But I didn't have the energy, so I could say, fuck you, I quit. It didn't mean anything to me. So I could do that 
you know, and, and it and it didn't it didn't affect me if they went through with it. Yeah, you're fired. Get out of here. Yeah, okay, fine. I'll get another job. Now that's what that's what agents would tell you. You know, hey, I didn't get the audition. Don't worry, Larry. You know, you'll there's other auditions. We'll send you out. You know, so they would buck you up. You know, but to me, it was real. I said, no, there's other jobs. Not in acting. I was a stage actor for all my life. I was a stand-up comedian, so that was my fallback. Fuck you! I'll just go back to doing stand-up. I don't, I don't need this. And 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 it served me well that attitude. Now, it served me well because it kept me sane and it kept that. I need that, that anger, that frustration. I need that for for my art, my art. Uh, but but I don't. Um, I'm I'm not an I've always said that. I never dreamed of being an actor. So like, you know, when you see somebody like uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. or Brian Cranston or Robert De Niro, they always wanted to be an actor, man. I mean, I always wanted to be a funny guy, that's all. You know, stand up, stand up comedian. Uh, so this was just a, a, a lot of extra money, man. I mean, they paid you oodles of cash. No, I never got to be in the big time because I'm dyslexic and I turned down very big roles because they were too big because I'm dyslexic and it would take me longer than longer than it would take to shoot the movie just to learn the lines. Now, I there's only one director, Vince Gilligan, Breaking Bad who ever reacted to the fact, and it was the only one where I ever went up on my lines. I mean, I've, I've, I've never not memorized my lines, but you never see the work that I put into it to memorize those lines. And I, there was a standing order that my agent had to give out. Uh, look, Larry needs to get the script first or among the first people, you know, like the producer and the, Whatever the first script is, the first draft, Larry's got to get it because of his inability to memorize lines. I don't know if he put that in, but that was the requirement. And I always got the script early so I could have enough time to memorize the lines. And I always had enough time to memorize the lines. And the only time I didn't, and it was because Vince Gilligan and the nerves. I was so scared of Vince. I mean, I was a fan of that movie, of that TV show. So to be in it was, you know, it was like acting again with Clint Eastwood, uh, the, the, the nerve, the nervousness. So I went up on my lines three times with Brian Cranston and he got mad, but he really got mad. But he got passive aggressive mad. He just wouldn't look at me or, or turn, he wouldn't deliver his lines to me or he wouldn't listen to me when I had lines to give to him. He would be looking away, you know, at the junkyard or something. And he did it three line, uh, three times. I did it three times, right? I went up on my lines. And the third time he said, hey, Larry, get your lines down. And he was very serious. And I got that. And it scared the shit out of me. Uh, it just made me more nervous. And why, why were you messing up? Because didn't you get the lines ahead of time for this? Or, or And I did. And I thought, you know, well, I'm, I'm a pro. I'm a pro now. I can I don't have to do it as long. 
I don't have to memorize it as long. You know, I got I got uh, cavalier about it. I got a, a cavalier about the work I had to put into to to memorize the lines, and I didn't put in enough time. And I, and, and I know I didn't. In other words, I brushed it off. Thought, well, it's fucking. No, uh, and, and it has to do with nerves and dyslexia, both at the same time. So you put them together, Vince Gilligan and Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston, by the way, is a perfectionist, and I, I give him props for it. I mean, and he's got that character down, man. He'll just go, boom, and he disappears. Brian disappears. And it's just that guy, White. It, it's just, it was, it was mind blowing because I, I thought I was talking to Brian and I was talking to White, <laughs> you know, I, I, on, on screen in, in, in the scene. Yeah. And I realized, holy cow, this guy's gone. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking to White now. Uh, so I, I, I guess that, you know, made me nervous or whatever. So what Vince Gilligan did, because he was directing the movie, it was in the movie that I did it. So I did two times. One time, on the TV show, and he just he he said, you know, take a minute and get your lines down. Vince said that to me, you know, I just take a minute. You know. I mean, but it was very casual. You know, he didn't think anything of, it. and I took my minute and I came back and I was fine. But so I so when this happened, I, I remember another act uh, director said to me because when Brian said, "Hey, get your lines down," I went to the director who was just a guy director not vince and i said uh excuse me i said to brian excuse me i got to step out of the scene for a second he had just said get your lines down and i thought wow he's really mad i i i got to talk to the director so i went over to the director and i said hey brian is really angry um now you know i'm telling you this story i told this story to somebody else uh an interviewer and, I, and it made the papers. But it said that Brian Cranston and Larry Hank had had a fight on the scene, uh, on the set of Breaking Bad. No, he, he didn't react that way at all. He just got angry in his tone for that second. And then I walked away. So there was no anger. He just said, hey, get your lines down. That was all. But to me, it was all, it was everything. It was Brian Cranston. You know, I made right. more of it then. So I went to the director and I said, hey, Brian is really angry and uh, he's making me n- nervous. I mean, I went up on my lines. Okay, but he's, you know, so what, what should I do? So the director said, well, first of all, Larry, all actors go up on their lines. So there's no, no big deal. Secondly, we're losing the fucking light. Get back in the scene and let's finish it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I got in the scene and finished the scene and they didn't lose the light. Very simple. So, okay, now I'm doing the movie and I go up on my lines and now Vince has, you know, I've done it once and now I, this is right near where I quit, where I, where I retired, where I stepped aside. Is within, I guess, two, two or three months. And Vince goes, I, I went up on my lines. The walk around the car in, uh, El Camino. I walk around the car. I couldn't get that down. I did it like three times, and I just kept on going up on my lines. So Vince said, all right, let's take 10 minutes. 
Larry, go over there and just memorize your lines, okay? All right, I want to talk to the crew. Let's meet in the village. So he used the time well, but he took 10 minutes because I couldn't get my lines down. Not only that, but he, the other thing that made me nervous, and I knew my time is up, I, I'm, I don't have the fire in the belly to keep me going. I, I, my time is up to get out of, the, of acting. Uh, he, he said, go memorize your life. And the, the upside of this, but I knew, okay, I, I, this is my, probably one of my last jobs. Okay, I went over, I memorized the lines, and everybody's looking at me. Memorizing the lines. Ooh, Larry's memorizing the lines. Mint is mad. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> I, you know, you sense this. So, uh, but what happened was there was three cameras. They were filming this, and that added to my nerves. The nerves it was three cameras. I never saw three cameras on anybody else's shot in that scene or even before that scene. But he set three cameras up. One was a, one was on a, uh, one was on a dolly. One was on a crane. And one was just on sticks. And each one was on me. So I, before this scene, before I forgot my lines, I went up to the and said, what are all those three cameras for? And he says, well, they're all on you. Why? Because I want to, I just want to get it down right. You know, I just, they're all on you. Never mind. So I, okay, fine. fine. I don't need to know anymore. Okay. Uh, so I thought, you know, I'm, He's called 10 minutes. I, I don't want to bother him anymore. I, see, so, so there's those two things that get down to your, your question is there was the, the fear and the naivete, which never left me, and the I don't need this never left me. So they were always there at the same time, and I would just focus on either one or, oh, I better be scared and nervous, or, oh, fuck this all. I don't need this problem, you know. And they were always there. So I would just switch. And I couldn't control it. I didn't know which one I was on, you know, until it came out. So, but the three guys, the three operators, when they heard that, the 10 minutes and I'm over here, I would walk around the car to rehearse. I wouldn't go away. I walked around the car to rehearse. Meanwhile, they're in the, you know, tent, uh, TV village over there. And everybody else is watching me. So the three guys got off their cameras, the operators, and they came over to me and they say, well, you know, when you're walking around, you know, I had that thing in my hand to get that. I had a little thing in my hand, like a, a cell phone, checking the car for some hidden police thing. So I had, he says, when you go around and you come around here, which is his shot, hold the camera up so it's on camera. Hold, hold this thing up. So it's on camera. Okay. Don't not down here, up here. I said, okay. So the other two guys saw that. So they came over. He says, okay, when you come around here, just around this side of the car, just slow down because I'm going to come up and get just to get your face in a little bit of the car. And then this, the third guy goes and he gives me his instruction about what I should do when I get over there. So the upside was. I was getting better shots on me because they started to rehearse, which I've never seen happen. Camera operators are not allowed to speak to the, to the actors. I mean, that's verboten. Not even the cinematographer. It's allowed, but it's a no-no. So this, I knew, was 
helping me in, in the film, getting a really good shot and helping them. And Vince wasn't around to see this. He was with the, the other crew, with the cinematographer. So I thought, okay, uh, it kind of alleviated the, the fear and the anger because it's making it better for me and I'm rehearsing. You know, so it, it's coming out good this time. But after, and I did it and it was fine. We, we did it once. But if you look at the movie, uh, at, yeah, if you look at the movie, which I did. No, he only used one camera. <laughs> it's all one shot. It's, it's just all, the entire walk around is with one, one camera. And the reason he did it, I found out, was if you watch the scene, I only did it once. I don't know. I did it twice. Once I did it, you know, and then he said, just do it again. We got it. But the second time, if you watch it, because that's the one he used, when I go around, as I come around, and uh, like one side, the front side, then the other side, and I was going towards the back, I trip on a root. You know, just a little, a little, you know, if this is the ground, there's just a tree root that just came up like that, you know, and my foot just hit it. And I just go, bump, like that. And that was all. But I was so frightened into memorizing my lines that it didn't bother me at all. I thought, fuck falling. I can't, you know, I can't do this to Vince. I, I got to do this. I mean, yeah, that was what kept me from falling is I, I don't want to embarrass Vince. So I get, boom, and I kept on talking. And boom, boom. But that's the shot he kept because it's so natural and so real. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, well, you know, the guy did script, but he kept on going. <laughs> so it just made it better. But so the other two guys, and it, so it's weird how things change. And uh, my my buddy's name of his production company is Movies is Magic Productions. And it's so right on that what you see in the finished product is not anywhere near what went on to get that shot whatever it was in any right i mean and, and that was it's a cautionary tale my book and that's what i wanted to show that was very conscious that i wanted to show that what you see is not what we do right. what we do is totally fake you know? <laughs> smoke and mirrors yeah it's like cgi nowadays you know yeah. the green screen you know with the monsters and the spaceships and things right you know, when you're acting, you're, you know, full of dots and stuff, <laughs> you know, and you're talking to nothing, you know, this big, huge nothing. No, don't eat me. Okay. Cut. That was great, Larry. What did I, you know what? No, but no, the monster was only this big. I'm sorry. Just, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, but right after that, I, I, phoned my agents and I said I'm out I didn't retire I just said I'm out just yeah. don't see me out anymore because I saw that with age and the dyslexia and the fear and the naivete that I could never get rid of because like I say I never wanted to be an actor so the fire in the belly is so important desire you gotta want it if you want it you gotta want it you, you can't fuck around and my, uh, and I was just fucking around. And, well, you fucked around, but you were in all, close to 200, 200 TV shows and movies. So well, because because I was getting these, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, because what I what my desire was was the money. <laughs> I you know, I'd pay the rent so I could work on my art. Yeah. That that money, so I got to bought a house. I got to bought a lot of houses. I, I don't own a house. I have an apartment. It's a fine apartment. But the money that I got, I made movies with. I made my movies. I made film shorts. I made about 30 film shorts. I've written uh, about five screenplays that people now, I, I just, I would write. I didn't have time to shop, shop them around because I was always auditioning and, and getting jobs. So I was busy. So it was cool. I mean, it, it's like, you, like you're married and have kids. And you, and you work a job because you need to pay the rent and the mortgage and you get to feed your kids and, and have a life, you know, and go out on the driving range, play some golf, go swimming, go to Hawaii. So the job was like a secondary thing. You did it and everybody did it and it's five, nine to five. So that was what Hollywood was to me. And nobody in Hollywood is like that. Yeah. Everybody there, the great thing about it, whether you hate them or love them. I mean, some people are really stupidly there but they got the fire stupidly fire in the belly it's you don't want to work with them but they have the fire in the belly they're going to succeed i was talking to a guy last night went out to dinner with a young director and he wants to use me in his movies but i saw what oh my god because i haven't you don't talk i don't get a chance to talk to young directors much so he was like 28 and he had the fire in the belly and i heard it and I thought, my God, I don't, this is amazing. I mean, the drive that he had, and the, I, I, that's great. You know, I, I admired it. But I, it's, I, I thought, this is not me. So, but this is what's required. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's good because it's a, there are a lot of geniuses in Hollywood. I got to give Hollywood props. There are geniuses, but they're buried among I don't know, wannabes, wannabes. Yeah. There's geniuses and there's wannabes. And there's a plethora of wannabes. But among them, man, you know, there are these people that, whew, John <laughs> Houston, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I probably, I don't know, Don Siegel and Clint Eastwood, I guess. I mean, he's a great director, both of them, Clint yeah. Eastwood and, and uh, Don Siegel. So, yeah, but it's it's Hollywood, and, and I wanted the book to be a, a cautionary tale. So that's my anger and naivete got me through, because, I, I like I say, fire in the belly is a desire. Desire right. is very important. Uh, I have a desire to do things, and I'm going to do them, but I'm going to do them because I have the desire to do them. All right. Uh, you know. But it's not, it's not acting. I'll do it. I can do it. I do it well. I do what I like to do, and I do it all the time in my, in my spare time. Uh, film shorts and, and films for friends. And, and I say, you know, if, if there's not too many lines to memorize, you know, give me a small part or something. So, I got a, 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 uh, so I've done three. I got another one coming up. Just little films I do around town. Yeah. But I, I love it because it's just enough. I can, you know. And, and 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 now I'm 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 a pro because they they hire other people who are not pros, you know, wannabes. Right. So that I so it's kind of fun now. Now it's fun. 
It's yeah. cool. cool. Like I, I got an email the other day from a, a director who I've done two movies with. Small parts, but I like it. Uh, he said, uh, hey, Larry, here's his new screenplay. It's a feature. Read it. I haven't cast it yet. Let me know what part you want to play. That's awesome. Whoa! Cool. I've, you know, reached a, a pinnacle. That, that's yeah. great. But he's a friend. And, you know, we just shoot it around here. Uh, I can walk to the job. I mean, yeah. it's my, my neighborhood. And it's great, and it's a feature, and you know I haven't read it yet because now I'm tomorrow I'm flying to Wisconsin to do a movie, a feature for a friend. Nice. You know, it's it's two scenes, and they, but they're great scenes. You know, I I just don't, you know, I have to I have to like it. Sure, I have to want to do it, right. but it's just great. And and he's you know, and I know his mom, you know, and he's 28 years old. <laughs> doing a, he does features in Michigan. This is his fifth feature, you know, full out. I've done, I've done two for him already. And this is now another one, but they're great little scenes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's like somebody, you know, asking you to sit in on a game. Hey, Larry, you want to play? You know, come on. In. Yeah. It's uh, so that's where, it, and I'm writing another book now, which is a fake memoir. I've never seen a fake <laughs> memoir. Yet. So it's, it's really great. That's awesome. Well, I mean, I mean, this book, you know, there's a, uh, an incredible amount of awesome stories in this book, but I like you, you could get another memoir. I'm sure with the amount of stories that you have, I mean, you wouldn't need to write a fake one, right? I mean, there's still, oh, well, I thought it was, you know, so, uh, no, uh, writing a book is hard. Yeah. You have to have a fire and ability to fit. Here's the one rule that I, I, I did follow and every writer that I've ever read or, you know, how to write a book or what they always say is one thing. If you start a book, you got to finish it. Yeah. I've heard that. That's it. That's it. The only rule about writing. If you start it, you got to finish it. Well, your memory, so, man. I mean, I find I just like I, I cannot believe that you're 85 because I mean, we've had you on the show before and like your memory and like the the stories like you've told stories, you know, I've heard you tell the same story on, you know, other interviews and shit. And like the details have never changed. Like you, you're just you're still sharp. Well, I, you look great, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I've had that all my life. And the weird thing is, again, it's the, the other guy, the, the muscle memory thing. See, that, that I, that's perfectly, you, you nailed the other guy. He has perfect memory. Perfect memory. I don't. I'm dyslexic. <laughs> so uh, there are certain things that total fucking, you know, I would improvise something in back in the day when I was in second city and the improv in San Francisco and we had lines around the block. We were really famous around America in both the second city and in the, uh, the, the committee, but I would improvise something one night and the director would go now. So you make it up. I've never said it before. Somebody called it out of the audience we improvise it, you know, maybe it's a 10-minute scene. I'll do four or five of them in one night. We all, you know, did four or five scenes in one night. First time. 
the director at the end of the scene says, well, okay, do the do that scene and that scene and that scene tomorrow night. We'll put it in the in the second half, which is old, which was improv scenes we just did that we want to work on and make better and put it in the permanent show. So you just take it, put it in the in the second half. So tomorrow night, and then he would give me notes on all three scenes. You know, in that scene where you improvised, you know, don't do the thing with the handbag, but, you, you know, talk about the kid a little more and just be a, a little less angry. Okay, in this scene, you know, forget about, uh, you know, don't roll down the window and uh, put gas in the car and blah, blah, blah. And then the third one. And I don't, and I never would think about it. I would just, because that would be after the show. So from... The show ends at 12 midnight, 12 to 12.30, we get notes, you go home, and then you show up the next night, <clears throat> 7 o'clock, and you do the show. <clears throat> and that was my ritual, and I never thought about what he said, ever, <laughs> for 10 years. I just show up, and the next night, bam, not only did I memorize, I, I didn't feel like I memorized, I just did it. But I did the same scene with all the notes he gave me, Every scene. I mean, I don't know how I did it. I never thought about it. I never cared about it. It didn't make me nervous. It didn't make me happy. It didn't make me sad. It was a job. I just went in and I did it. And we all did the same thing. All of us. So it was there. It's always been there. And I never knew I had it until he started giving me notes. And I just show up the next night and there it was. So that's what I see in, in really great actors, in the big-time actors who do leads. Brad Pitt, Brian Cranston, anybody, uh, you know, Robert Downey. They just, it just comes. Now, the other day, I just did a scene from, for, for a friend. And um, I really wanted to do the scene. It's a, it was a small scene, but I loved the speech. It was a little long speech. And I just loved it. What I had to say it was written so well, it just came off of the tongue, you know. And so I did it. And I, I, one of the producers who was 28 was also the actor who I was talking to. So I was doing it, a scene with the producer. You know, he could fire me, this actor. <laughs> so I was doing But everybody loved what I did. They said, oh, man, that was so cool. One guy said after it was over, because they knew I, I was famous. The, the other actors, they were all young. So, you know, can you give me some tips on acting? I don't know, you know. So I said, well, I don't know. I'm really not an actor. I just do it because I can do it. I mean, <laughs> what do you want to know? He said, well, the thing about the song that you just did. And I got the song. I didn't do any song. What are you talking about? <laughs> and he said, yeah, that, that thing you said to, to uh, Blake. It, it sounded like a song. Oh, you mean the, the thing where where, where I <clears throat> where I was talking to him? I gotta get a drink here. Where I was talking to him? He said, "Yeah." He said it came out like a song. I go, "Oh, wow!" Trippingly on the tongue. That that's what you mean? Oh, yeah, like that. It just sounds like a song. See, that's what all actors have <clears throat> it's just a flow it's like that's how real they are it just comes out actors you can tell they're acting you know yeah. like brian cranston disappears <clears throat> he's just white that guy white 
And I, I don't know where that comes from. <clears throat> uh, I don't, I don't know how real actors get that flow to come out. It's like rap artists, like hip hop. You get flow, flow. Yeah. But I did it because I loved that little speech so much <laughs> that I that I it came out like like he said, like a song. It just came out like in rhythm and everything like that. But that's why I stopped because generally, if I got it short enough, a short enough scene and a short, I could get the flow because I rehearsed it enough so that it became second nature. It was just something that I would just do. But it would take me a long time to do that. And but but other actors, I would see that I would watch Clint, you know, or other famous actors that I would be acting with. They all had it. You know, they were just like um, one actor. I don't remember who it was, you know, but a big time actor. Uh, Brad Pitt does it the best. He's amazing. The the flow that he has. Uh, he would just be talking to me, and then somebody would say, uh, "Hey, you're up." And then you go, oh, okay, excuse me, Larry. Boom, and just go into character. Just wonk. <laughs> you know, I need time. I mean, people think I'm weird because I, I keep to myself trying to go over my lines to get it down, you know. So I can't talk to you before <laughs> I go on. But other actors, I mean, you know, the real good ones that you, yeah. you see. That's what they do, you know. Blah, 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 blah. Boom. You know, I saw uh, Marlon Brando, who is great. He, oh. I saw him do it once where the the actress, this was on film. They were filming him doing that scene where he, that famous uh, French film, he was famous for it. I don't know. Anyway. But he was teaching the actress who he was going to do a scene with how to relax. She was so nervous. But they were filming it because they were going to, you know, uh, the making of. They were doing a making of. There's one clip where he was talking to the actress and he didn't bother about the camera. He was just saying, he was talking to her and she was saying, uh, you know, but I, I can't get relaxed enough. I'm so nervous. He's and, and she was saying, and the camera was right there and the scene was right there. And the director and the cinematographer were standing. You could see them standing by the camera waiting for him to finish talking to her. So they would do the scene. And they were filming this. And he was saying, well, what you have to do is you have to just get relaxed and don't think about it. And then he put his arm sort of on her shoulder. And he sort of, as he talked to her, you know, you got to just relax. He moved her a little. So they were walking and talking. But very gently, you know, not in any kind of, you know, macho manner. It was just, you know, so you got to just relax and just do it. Like, you know, it, it's just like you're here and talking to me. So when you're in front of the camera, you'll be talking to me. So, and he would just lead her onto the spot where they were. And then you, you saw him go with this hand. He would go... <laughs> And yeah, but you just got to relax. And then she, we're, we're talking and then he would just throw the line and she just threw the line back and they just did the scene. <laughs> oh, man. And that was a lesson that that's great. He, you yeah. know, and I'm so happy that I saw that. 
Now, you know, if you want to be an actor and stuff like that, that's gold right there, what he just said and how he did it. Just so gently, just so, just very, he didn't walk her fast, walked slow, and he just did this. Out of her sight, out of her yeah. sight. And he just, and then he just threw it a line and he just did, so it's brilliant. You know, so yeah, uh, there's, there's things you can learn and the song thing. In, in other words, the same kind of thing, that naturalness. And I always try to get that reality that, and uh, for the first time when I did this the thing where I was talking to Blake and he said it was like a song, I remember the feeling I got in the scene when they were filming it, saying it. And I thought, wow, this is flowing out. In other words, I could think two things at the same time. I'm talking to him and it's just flowing, but it's real. And then they showed me a clip of it on, on his cell phone. So it was very tiny. A uh, couple of days later, and I thought, "Wow, man, I'm, that's me." I, I had never actually really seen me in a long speech. Well, as long as what what I was seeing, be that natural, and it was reminded me of Escape from Alcatraz. That's my best role, and that was my first role. And it was because I was so naive, I couldn't be not. I couldn't not be natural. I was just scared into being real. <laughs> yeah. That that Charlie Butts is right on, and I've always tried to get that guy, that that guy, uh, Charlie Butts relaxed. I mean, there was so much going on. The the being in front of this the camera with Clint Eastwood was was just such a small part of the awe that I had about being so young and. So involved in such something so big, I guess. Yeah. Because everybody says, no matter when or where, no, I think the, the, your best role is Charlie Butts, man. That was so cool. Well, because I spent so much time on screen, you could fi- finally, you know, really grok the whole character. But that was um, Don Siegel saying, get in there, Larry, get in there. Yeah. What am I doing? Like when I throw up, when the guy cuts his hand off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that was improv. I I didn't know what I was doing. He said, "Larry, get in there." I said, "Why?" It was the shop scene. I wasn't in that at all. He said, "Larry, get in there." I go, "Why?" He says, "Because I need bodies in there. Just get in there." <laughs> I love a great director. Get in there. Okay. So I get in there, and then he goes, "No, no, no, no." He says, "Okay, now." So he cuts his hand off. The camera's on there. But then he says, okay, we're going to go around and get your reaction. So I have everybody, okay. And when I say, when the camera's on you, I'm going to yell, he cuts his hand off, react, okay? So he says, so there's like, I think, four or five of us. Okay. And, and it was just, he says, it's just from, just from here up. It's just a shot. Boom. He says, okay. And, and action, he cuts his hand off. Cut. Okay. Next one. He cuts his hand off. Cut. Okay. Larry, he cuts his hand off. <laughs> he cuts his hand off. Larry, nice. That's in. That's in. So, you know, each time I would have a little chance to do something. Now, that wasn't in the script. Or I wasn't in the script. There's a lot of times where 
I wasn't in the script. So that's awesome, man. You have time for it to tell us one more story here? I, yeah, I'm man, I, this is great. This is I'm fascinated by this. Uh, about the book, uh, any of the stories in the book. Yeah, I'm fascinated about this uh, this next thing. So tell us about your oh, girlfriend. Detail, I have talked about it, but in such detail. Okay, go, I'm sorry. Your your uh, girlfriend Kathy in San Francisco and hanging out with the uh, the Merry wow. Pranksters and her disappearing, and then you hanging out with Ken Kesey and Larry McMurdy at his house. Like going to uh, Texas. I mean, that I, I was when I was growing up, when I like, I'd say 16, 17, 18, like well into my 30s, I, I really loved the Grateful Dead and uh, taking acid. And I didn't take acid into my 30s, I took acid in my 20s, but, um, you know, just fascinated by that whole thing. Like you hanging out with the band and, and, uh, Dylan. I mean, that's a different story. That's a completely different story, but, I mean, th- those are all people that I looked up to, too, man. You know, I love it. I, I no, I I loved that also part. I mean, the the naivete and the anger. I go, wow! I didn't. I was just writing, you know. But now when I read it, it's like being the psychiatrist to Larry talking to me. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my god, this guy is like weird. Uh, but the other the other part was the joy. Too of, uh, uh, of, of I, I love my life the 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 people that I've been around that's why I wanted to like but on um, <clears throat> what was the one you the the, the, you, the, the Mary pranksters and uh, Mary Kathy pranksters. Kathy disappearing you having to take care of yeah. how old was the daughter at the time four I guess she was around four four yeah the little girl four about four or five yeah yeah and this Kathy's Kathy kid. just left you with her daughter while she went to hang out with the merry pranksters on the bus yeah yeah that was there was something i wanted to to the, about that that uh, the, one of the stories that i but I, well yeah i that, that whole thing the band i i put those in because i wanted to give a little contrast to hollywood and then the 60s well you know what, the, the over before you go on what when because i mean i could talk to you all day about this stuff but so like beverly d'angelo was hanging out with the band around that same time did you ever cross paths with her no no i went to she i don't think she went to did, did she go up to uh uh bearsville i, was, I think yeah i, I, I think she was hanging around with them at that's like around the same I, time. I never met her no. okay but you know i mean i wasn't I, I was there for i was there for a good month maybe two in Bearsville with those guys. Yeah. A, a big pink. I went to big pink. Yeah. That's awesome. I have, a, I have a picture of myself in front of big pink as well. Oh, really? Just, but yeah. not that. It I is, mean, it is big and it is pink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, so cool that you got to hang out there with those guys, man. I, well, I mean, I didn't foster it. I never thought I, I would be able to. They, they approached me. Robbie ro- approached me. Bob approached me. Uh, but I never knew that. I got to tell you one thing. I never mentioned this to anybody, but you brought it up. So, I mean, Bob Dylan discovered me. He's the only one. I mean, years before anybody else thought I had any talent or put me on a stage, or I, uh, he, when I was in Greenwich Village, I, I graduated college. I didn't want to be an actor. I didn't want to be anything. I didn't want to work. I just, well, I just want to hang out. That, that was my one goal. 
What do you want to do with your life, Larry? Hang out, man. <laughs> Just hang out. Really? For your entire life? Yeah. What else is there? <laughs> what else is there? So I, uh, my best friend was Carl Gottlieb, who wrote all the Jaws movies in college. We just went to college together. So he wanted to be a writer. I, I just don't, I didn't have anything. I was in industrial design. I didn't want to do it. I was just doing it for my parents. But I got A's, you know. Uh, oh, I like painting. I, I like drawing. So that was, but it's a lot of math. I didn't like that. So he took me to Greenwich Village. Carl said, let's go to Greenwich Village because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I got my degree and I went to Greenwich Village and I had a lot of time. He would be working nine to five and he'd be writing at night. So I would go to Greenwich Village and I would, uh, I, I was in Greenwich Village, but I go to the coffee houses and I watch these stand up comedians. I said, well, I can do that. I was a funny guy in high school and in college. I was funny. So I got, okay. So I did that, and I didn't know that. I didn't know this until years later when I was at the committee. This is like at least three years later, at least, minimum, three years later, maybe four. I was in the committee in San Francisco, and Bob Dylan, who I saw him when I was in the village. He was just another guy playing folk music. I saw him, but I walked out. I, I I think I didn't like his singing. I, I didn't understand his songs. I because everybody was saying, "Oh, you got to go see this guy. He's Bob Dylan. He's really cool, man." I mean, he was about like sixteen or seventeen. I was about eighteen or nineteen. I don't know. So, um, and I saw him. He no, he's nothing. No. So I walked out. Okay. Three years later, I'm getting to your point. Three years later, I'm in the committee. Bob Dylan is playing Berkeley. He's now Bob Dylan. Everybody in the committee loves Bob Dylan. I kind of liked uh, um, Tambourine Man. I liked Hey Tambourine Man. Okay. But uh, but we were into the 60s. In other words, the improv was into the 60s and stuff like that. So Bob Dylan was part of that. <laughs> His famous quote, I loved it. You think I own the 60s? Fine. Here. It's yours. You deal with it. That's what he said. I thought that was the greatest thing. <laughs> Here, you deal with it. Um, so he comes into now he comes into the committee and somebody now, but he was Bob Dylan. He comes in. A waitress comes backstage and he goes, um, Bob Dylan's in the audience. Everybody goes, Ooh. He says, He wants to talk to you, Larry. What? <laughs> He wants to talk to you. I don't have anything to say to him. What, what do I, I, I don't know what, I don't even know his songs. I mean, what am I going to talk to him about? I know he wants to talk to you. So I wait and I wait and I wait. And then when I go out, when, when in the lobby, there he is sitting with Bobby Newworth, his, his road manager, who is so cool. <laughs> He's, Bob, Bob Newworth is amazing. Was. He's gone now. Uh, he's sitting at a table and he's sitting at a table because you can sit in tables and have a drink while you're waiting to go in. It was kind of a dinner theater kind of thing. He's sitting at a table and clustered around that table are all the people from our audience. So these are like people who are 
maybe 20s to 30s, no teenagers, but 40s. Our, our audience was, you know, people who can afford the price, you know, and, and, and we were in San Francisco. So it was like a dinner theater thing. But they're all gathered around this table. And I said, where is he? He's in there. He's that sitting at a table. And I look over it. And, and they're just all just staring at him. I'm thinking, what kind of life does this guy have? I mean, he's sitting at a table waiting, you know, it's a four or five people person table, only two people, him and, and Newworth. And this crowd is just staring at him. I, I thought that's, that's a nut, nutty life to have. So I get through and I sit down. And I said, did you want to talk to me? And he goes, yeah. And Newark says, let's get out of here. This place has given me the creeps. <laughs> so Dylan says, yeah, you want to get out of here? And I said, yeah, yeah, we can go to a bar around the corner. So we just get up and get out of there. We walk to a bar around the corner. And he says, he wants me to write a movie for him. And I don't, again, the naivete, I don't know what's going on. I, 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 my growing up was so nothing, so, I don't know, protected. I don't know, just in, in far Rockaway. I, never, I didn't know anything. I didn't know about the 60s. I didn't know about rock and roll. I didn't know about Bob Dylan. I didn't know about anything. I just went to school and set fires. I was an arsonist. Uh, a billboard, a and, uh, yeah, a billboard. I had it in my notes. I was going to say, oh, what's up with the yeah, I burned down the, the billboard. Barn. Yeah, I was an arsonist. <laughs> so, and that was my childhood. So I didn't know anything else. Okay, so, so he says, let's go. So he, says, he wants me to write it. So, and I, and I said, I, and I'm going, what? And well, he says, yeah, and you know, and I, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. will be tapping down, tapping, tap dancing on a bar, and uh, you know, we'll have the 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 wallpaper will be newspapers, and we'll have some. Uh, this this I finally did discover, and we'll have some bleachers on uh, on like a highway. That's bleachers out on Highway sixty one. That got into a song, but he was talking about that. You know, we'll have some bleachers out. You know, and there'll be a road, and I did all these wallpaper d- dancing. I so Newark says we were sitting in a booth in a bar, and he's saying. And he's nudging right in front of me. I'm sitting across from the tomb. He goes, hey, Bob, man, he doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about. And Dylan goes, yeah, I know, but let me just talk to him, okay? You know, don't don't interrupt me. He didn't say that, but that, that was what he's saying. He said, let me talk to him. I know. So he says, well, look, Larry, you know, he's trying to explain. Now, here's what he's trying to explain. And I didn't find out this till years later. He was trying to explain to me MTV. That's what he was trying to explain to me. But this is when MTV just first started. I hadn't seen it yet. Nobody had really except, you know, some college students. But what he was trying to lay out to me was the, the fast cutting of, you know, you know bleachers and dancing and dude and while he was uh, singing one of his protest songs. So now, nowadays, of course, later on, it did make sense. But then... MTV, I didn't, and he didn't say MTV. He just told me the cutting. And it will have this. And it was just, and I said, and then I said, well, okay, can I think about it? And he goes, yeah. And and Newer says, he he doesn't understand. And and Dylan says, yeah, I know. He says, it's okay, Larry. I'll talk to you later. 
And, and he said, let's get out of here. We got to do a show tonight. And he left. This was in the afternoon. Uh, no, no, it was that night. So it was the next day. He said, okay, fine. He splits. Okay. I wonder what that was all about. I never heard from him again. And then years later, I get a call from Robbie Robertson and in my home saying, Bob Dylan told me to call you. And I go, Bob Dylan, oh, my God, the whole bar thing. That's like years ago in the committee in San Francisco. Holy cow. And he says, what, what, what are you calling about? He says, we want you to write a movie for us. I'll do the music and he'll do the words. But it's got to be a Carney movie. Because we're in, I mean, the band is into Carney. So I said, okay. So I spent three months with, that's what I spent three months up there in Bearsville yeah. with, with them. Uh, just writing, but I didn't know how to write a movie. So what I did was I wrote a Ballad of Reading Jail type of poem. 13 stanzas. It was a synopsis of a movie in rhyme. It's pretty hard to do, man. But they like they liked that too, right? Oh, they loved it. Yeah. Dylan wanted to do it. He was all over it. Robertson wanted to do it even. I mean, you know, but Warner Brothers didn't. They said, <laughs> this is this rhymes. But they paid me a huge amount of money. I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars. <laughs> many thousands of dollars to do it. So I took the money and ran, you know. I mean, I took it. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. I ran down and took it out of the bank because they deposited it in the bank. And I just took it out, boom, put it in a in my bank. And that was it. And then they said, and then Robbie said, he called me and he said, hey, they, they don't want to do it. I said, well, is, is that okay? Then we're, we're even. I'm just talking about the money. You know? We're even, you know. He said, no, no, it's fine. Everything's fine. We just we just don't have any more money. They gave us, he told me this. <clears throat> he said, Warner Brothers gave us a certain amount of, probably I would say $100,000. I mean, that's just a guess. I, it's not from anywhere. They probably gave me, said, just, you know, get it so that we can take it from there. So get it written all together, get the screenplay, you know, and, and then give it to us. We'll make a movie out of it. Because, you know, Dylan and Robertson, they were both big. So that's, I think, where the money for me came from. Because Robertson said, no, we've run out of money. Because they they kept on flying in other writers to help me with it, to make the screenplay. But no matter what they wrote, Warner Brothers just didn't want to do it. Whatever. I mean, I had the basic thing. It was kind of a, a, it was, what was it? The Ballad of Aukus. A-U-K-U-S. Yeah, yeah. Because Howard Auk was his buddy who was a cinematographer. So the movie that, that they wanted you to write, was it based on Life is a Carnival, their song Life is a Carnival? or No, but that's what they wanted. That's exactly what they wanted, Life is a Carnival. That would be like the opening music to the, right. to the movie. But no, they wanted a carny movie about carnival, you know, you know, weird clowns and Ferris wheels and you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Monty, what is that? Monty, you know, find whatever. I don't know, card games and shit, cheating people. Uh, so, yeah, but but I couldn't write. I said, I don't know much about Carney, but I wrote, I said, what about 
what about cowboys? What about, uh, I wrote it was 1882. The movie took place in 1882. It was as close as I could get to Carney. It was just a, a lifestyle, a, a just, you know, a very narrow lifestyle, cowboy. And I thought, well, a God comes to earth. He's cut up, he's a very handsome God called Aucas, who got in a fight with another God and the other God cut off his nose. And so he came to earth to find his nose. This God, this Greek God comes to earth to find his nose. Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> I see your partner laughing. <laughs> so yeah. he comes in, God his nose. And what he does is he becomes a rancher. This God becomes a rancher with something wrong with his nose. Now, you know what I saw? Cat Baloo. I had just seen Cat Baloo. And remember, the lead bad guy had a, a fake nose. He had a silver nose, which was attached by a string, uh, just like uh, having an eye patch, you know, an eye patch with a string. So yeah. he had a nose. Uh, somebody had made him a silver nose. And I saw that was in Cat Baloo. So I just took that and I said, well, okay, let's make an, a movie, but star the nose. It's about the nose. A god's nose. And Dylan thought it was cool. He said it was great. Because it had a lot of images. In other words, I, I did fashion it like a lot of his songs, which are flashing images. Finally, I finally got it. That's yeah. what he was explaining about MTV, flashing images. Dylan had said, all my songs are flashing images. You know, I just don't connect them with a story. I connect them with themes. So that's what I did. Okay, so I got So then I had Dogs of All Nations. Where'd that come from? Howard Auk had, I swear to God, 15 dachshunds, the sausage dogs, you know? Yeah. He had 15 of them. And what he did was he called them. And the first time I ever met Dogs of All Nations was this. I went over to Howard Auk's house, which was a house, a cottage, a cabin in the woods. It was a cabin in the woods. So I met him outside, grass and trees and shit. And we were just talking, and he said, well, how about a, a movie? Because I wanted to talk to him about the movie. So I said, well, he said, how about, would you like to have Dogs of All Nations in the movie? I said, well, what is that? I don't, I don't get what that is. There's a lot I didn't get. And I said, what is that? He says, I'll show you. Dog, and he yells at the cabin. Dogs of All Nations. And 15 dachshunds comes running out of the house. And I, and I had a camera, but I was too, uh, movie camera, which I brought up with me, uh, which I got with the money. But I, I, I was too shocked to film it. And then after that, but they had gone. He said, back into the house, all of you. And I thought, that's not a made up Dylan image. Dogs of all nations. That's a real thing. <laughs> These guys aren't making up anything. These, this is all real. Ah. Yeah. Hi, would you think Dogs of All Nation existed? I wouldn't think. Yeah. So that went into the movie. That, that part went into the movie. I did write a section where one of the owners of another ranch, it was cattlemen against uh, grasslands or, you know, the, the cattle against agriculture 
that happened in the old west. So those are the two ranchers. And the god was a cattle guy, and the dogs of all nations belonged to him. And I had them doing, and then there was bar scenes and stuff like that. And it became a Western, but kind of interesting and quirky. Yeah. And, um, Warner Brothers. Now, years and years later, so that adventure happened year and then year and then like three years. Dylan came to the, okay, he saw me in Greenwich Village. Years later, he saw me in the committee. Years later, Robinson, uh, Robert, yeah, Robertson. Robertson called me. Then years later, I found out that, uh, oh, I was in a, uh, I was in the committee. So I was in San Francisco and I was going to fly somewhere. And I went to the, uh, Wayne, somebody, Wayne airport, uh, John Wayne airport. I was in John, which is a very small airport. So there's nobody there really. And I had to fly out of there. So I was there and there's like maybe seven people in the whole big lobby and i just sat down and right across from me reading a paper i didn't know who it was uh, and then he you know just folded it and i saw who it was and it was the producer at warner brothers who had to present my 13 page rhyming synopsis to warner brothers because that's who robertson and dylan was dealing with this guy who is sitting opposite me. And I had met him once, so I recognized him back in the day. I had recognized him. And he goes, and he sees me. I mean, there's nobody else. How, what, how, you know, what kind of thing? Right directly. And he goes, and that was all. He just, and I thought, well, I got to go over and talk to him. I mean, this is too ridiculous. I can't just sit here. I got to. So I start to walk over to him and he goes like this and he sees me and he puts down the paper, you know, ready to talk. And he goes, hi, Larry. He's very friendly, very friendly. Uh, And a man about a gentleman about uh, in his 50s. And he says, I said, I'm coming over. And I go, "Uh, I forgot his name. I knew his name then. You know, hi, blah, blah, blah. And he says, hi, Larry. And that, that was, he says, hi, Larry. And I go, you know, about that. And he goes, it's okay. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's all taken care of. Move on. I go, oh, okay. Well, thanks. No sweat. <laughs> that was the end of it. That was it. And then years after that, it turns out, that he, this guy, was a college buddy of one of my best friends in New York. Oh, shit. And years later, my best friend from college tells me, I'm flying to Florida to see a really good buddy. And I, my sister lived down there at the time. Said, oh, hey, well, let's fly together. Who, who is your friend? And he says, blah, blah, blah. Says, That's the guy from Warner Brothers. I, I know him. He says, yeah, well, I'm going to go have dinner with him. I'll ask him, you know. I said, yeah, great. So I, I had dinner with him uh, years later with my friend and, and him. And the weird thing about it, or the sad thing about it, I, I don't know. But uh, we had dinner, and then we went to his house. He was a, uh, just a whacked-out alcoholic. Uh. Yeah. So I don't know 
Was it me who caused that? No, I don't think so. But I mean, it was, yeah, I, I did think that. Oh my God, he, he's become an alcoholic because I fucked up the movie. Uh, I mean, this is like 10, 20 years later. Uh, you know. Yeah. But he was married and his wife is just putting up with it, I guess. I don't know. So, but, you know, so he's, and we, you know, spoke about it for a second. He says to his friend, he says, you know, Larry and I go way back. He said, <laughs> Larry and I go way back, but that was about all. I said, "Yeah, yeah, we were, but we didn't talk about it." I mean, you know, we just went about our business. But he was totally an alcoholic. <laughs> uh, I've had Larry. I've had a wonderful life, man. I mean, not a well, yeah, it is because it's a, it's a, an interesting. I, I, you know, I think about it all the time. I said, "Wow, man," and it's still going on. It's yeah. still going on, man. Yeah, very interesting, man. Uh, Ray, what do you have for Larry before we let him go? Okay, so I usually do these real questions where I ask you a question and you've got 60 seconds. And I know that might be impossible for you to keep any answer. Great, 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 great. So here's your question. Would you ever consider taking another at that movie? Okay, so, so I, I didn't hear. That. All right, would you would you consider taking another crack at the God movie with the the nose cut off, trying to get it made? Well, um, I would, but here's a sixty seconds. That poem is lost forever. It was thrown overboard, which is a whole other story. Thrown oh, yeah, over, that's when I lived on a houseboat, which was not a houseboat, it was fucking rickety old junker but i lived on it and the landlady when i didn't pay the rent threw everything overboard including that poem and i had the only copy because it was before digital it was typed out so there was only one or two copies and it was only 13 pages long but it was 13 stanzas it was very thin but it was thrown away so there's no trace of it and i could never repeat 13 stanzas I told you is all I knew know about it. All I remember about it. Damn, Did I man. get into under thirty uh, under sixty? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that story. That story is also in the book. That guy, a cautionary memoir by Larry Hankin. So please, Larry, your plugs where everybody can find you, and you're more than welcome on back Amazon, anytime, brother. Okay, uh, November, December, January, or February. I'll, I'll do it again because I'm. My next book will be out. So we have something awesome. else. Nice. Hell yeah. Okay. All right. If something else happens, I'll give you a ring. Thank you very much, man. Call me anytime. Great. Thank you, great brother. Show. I appreciate it, man. I, I travel for work all the time, too. So I'd love to have dinner with you sometime uh, when I'm out there. Fine. Way. If you get, give me, give me a call. Do you have my phone number? Or you, yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, or my email. Let's do it. All I'm, right, brother. All right. Cool, man. Thank you, guys. Great. Thank yeah. you, Larry. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>